Mitchell has his head up, takes a look for feet. Welcome to the Junkyard Pod. On today's episode, we are doing part two of our season preview extravaganza. We will be going over our final predictions, locking in our hot takes, talking about the hills that we are willing to die on, and possibly reacting to a couple of your Twitter takes, which we failed to do in part one. But sorry about that. I'm Tony Pesta, joined by Corey Walsh and Jackson Flickinger. And let's jump right into it with Corey. Give us your hottest take for the upcoming Cavs season. I sat back in my lair just thinking, you know, what would get Jackson's blood boiling on this pod for clicks, obviously, because this is a click business. And I feel this will also make Tony happy. Uh, I feel like this team is built in a way where Isaac Okoro should thrive. Thrive enough. You're talking how my much, language. Wait, how much will he thrive, you ask? I'm glad you asked, Jackson. He is, I didn't. <laughs> you couldn't. He was, Mike was muted. You guys who are listening, you wouldn't see it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make it so the Cavs can't possibly afford him for his upcoming contract. And oh, they will wow. have to move him because his value is that high. Because we're you know how restricted free agency works, right? It's going to make more sense for them to move him. Because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Jackson, I... you're messing up the take. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Redact. Redact your comment on the board. <laughs> all right. No, I think that uh, we're seeing, honest, like, today. So he's going to dribble the ball? Jackson. No, he's going to do more than just dribble it. <laughs> You you just wait what you're about to watch. I just saw Jaden McDaniels get paid a truck. Well, Minnesota it will pay anybody. They probably pay you, Corey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they saw my Y highlight footage. So I think we've we've talked about for the past few pods that well, me and Tony have <laughs> talked about how Okoro kind of has the best opportunity this season with his role on this team to thrive. And I know Jackson likes to, to talk against it, but there is off offensive growth we're seeing. They're finally playing in a way to his strengths. I think that Okoro should operate more in transition, which is one of his, his <laughs> elite strengths offensively. That's one of the few. I can admit that. <laughs> But now. I think hold on. Oh. I just want to clarify that Isaac Okoro skepticism is never about his skills. He's a great rim finisher. It's he just is... that you hate him. Yeah. No. <laughs> he's a <laughs> he's he, he showed that he can be a good three point shooter. The problem is he just doesn't have like he doesn't trust himself enough. He doesn't have good enough feel for the game. I he doesn't don't really have opportunity. Know. Doesn't have opportunity because of his own limitations and the coaching staff I think. so this <laughs> offense works therefore it should play to his strengths build him the confidence he needs to actually be a reliable offensive player building on my hotter take isaac Okoro. there's a hotter yeah. one oh dude <laughs> just sit back for this brian if you're listening grab a drink <laughs> isaac Okoro in the playoffs will require someone to pay attention to him and he will not be playing that would be huge before because well jackson will be paying attention that's for sure jackson will i will be, be paying attention heckling isaac okoro <laughs> just calling him shit i uh i honestly all jokes aside though i feel like if there was ever a season for him to work this is going to be it defensively he's already one of the best of on-ball defenders offensively we've seen growth year by year i think 
it, the issue has been a combination of the offensive system he's in, what he's asked to do doesn't necessarily correlate to what he's great at. And if this offensive system is being completely revolutionized, and from what we've seen in the preseason, I think I've seen enough to where if Okoro just flat out sucks offensively still, where we're kind of like, all right, Isaac, you're, you've been in the quarter for like 30 of your 32 minutes. Like, you got to move somewhere. I know that's not transition, but if, like, I just feel like with all the movement that I'm expecting to see, Okoro should really have a lot of opportunities to cut to the basket, play to his strengths. His offense won't solely rely on the three-point shot falling for him to be valuable. And honestly, with the way we're seeing contracts being signed even today, like teams value just a smidgen of hope offensively. And I think Okoro will play his way out of being like, should the Cavs sign him to a new deal? And then it will become how cheap can the Cavs get Isaac Okoro because he's playing up past his market value as it is today, which I would feel like today is probably the lowest it could be throughout this season i agree with your broader point about the offensive system being the closest to playing to his strengths that he's had so far and so jackson i want to pose the question to you i'll make a quick comparison if okoro more or less replicated what iman shumpert brought to the Cavs, would you consider that a success yes um kind of the difference is Iman Shumpert could have the ball in his hands and dribble mm. and pass. And he was actually a part of the offense. So that's <laughs> like, that's what it always comes back to. And it's like, is he playing, is he playing basketball or is he playing defense? And then just kind of trying to do these little niche things. Cause like most, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like, it was over 80% of his shots last season came from the corner three or at mm. the rim, which is really good from the standpoint that like that's where you're going to be most efficient but it's also like you know he's not playing basketball like he's not involved in the offense in a meaningful way he's not touching the ball above the break he's not setting somebody else up you know he's just kind of either setting a screen for the ball handler and then going back to the corner or just kind of hanging out in the corner so it's like if he could be like a basketball player like then he's it's unworthwhile. I would like to see him set more screens in general. I think using him more often. I know very different players, but I think I've mentioned before, even like the Bruce Brown comparison, just get him more involved, get him moving. Um, we've seen marginal growth in the preseason. Again, take all of that with a grain of salt. It wasn't like a complete overhaul of how he played, but he was above the break more often. He was a little more involved. That could just be preseason stuff, but I hope that it translates. I'm not a huge fan of him screening, at least not with this lineup, just because whenever he's going to set a screen, it's going to be like, they're just going to double the ball handler and there's already going to be somebody. Well, it could be paint. off ball screens too. Just, just right, get him off- moving. Yeah, off-ball screen, but like last year, what we saw was mostly those on-ball screens. They tried it like in like January, February. They really went heavy with those on-ball screens and just brought a second defender. And then there was nothing. He couldn't roll to the basket. So he just kind of slowly retreated back to the corner. And then it was like, you're just bringing a double team to Donovan Mitchell and you still have three other guys looking at him. So they need to find ways to get him the ball. And we saw it like a couple times. Uh, Tony, you posted this clip on Twitter. You're probably not going to remember it, but you posted on Twitter where like Struess was running around screens and he just inbounded the ball to Okoro at the top of 
you know, DM arc. He just holds it and just passes it to Struz, who's coming up off the screen, and Struz just hits the three. It's like simple things like that is what mm-hmm. we need to see Isaac do because if he has the ball, like at the top of the arc, somebody has to like be paying attention to him and other people can move off ball. If he's standing in the corner, that whole play doesn't work. I feel like a Coro just has i feel like the most aggravating thing about okoro is that physically he would be like the ideal player you would want to be setting small screens but the team just i feel like has lacked the creativity recently and like you said jackson like if he's not going to bring much off the screen like you're just attracting a double team right off the jump it's like hey how would you like to clog up the offense almost immediately let me just bring my defender over to you and we'll see how you kind of work with that i'll be in the corner and that's, then, that that's was it. The, um, Jackson pickup special. <laughs> All right, see you in the quarter. <laughs> Why haven't you passed to me? I've been open for twenty minutes. <laughs> it's like the one guy who sets like twenty screens a game, and he's like, "Can you just give me the ball one time?" It's like, dude, you're zero for twenty in the quarter. <laughs> Why would I give you the ball? Yeah, no, I feel like if, to close my uh, point, I just feel like Okoro has. Like, it's just annoying because you you see the flashes, you see that there is something. And it's like, you'll see it, and then it just gets buried for games at a time. Just when you give up, you see another tiny bit of potential, and then it goes away again. So if if this happens again, it's just like, all right, dude, I guess you're just going to just be a one-dimensional elite defender, like a Matisse Thibel type, which he's struggling to find minutes already. So. You, you just can't do it again and it's like the thing is it's what and that's what makes it most frustrating and that's why it's like i feel like i'm the most hardest on him because it's like you see the skills there if he was like a lamar stevens level player where it's like he's a good energy guy but then you know you're like well he's not really an elite defender he's kind of like an average defender and he doesn't really have a whole lot of offensive skills so like the minute you get off of him, that's great, but you can't, like, you're not going to demand more. Whereas, like, Isaac Okoro, you're like, you're so good finishing at the rim. You are so good in, tra- in um, transition. You have shown to be a better three-point shooter. It's like, can you just take the next step and just be a part of an actual offense? I would like to close up my point by saying it's on the record. Jackson loves Isaac Okoro. Let's go to the next segment. <laughs> Thinks Amani Bates is Kevin Durant and Isaac Okoro is Michael Jordan. I've heard. <laughs> I do not that. Say. enough. No. no. Moving on to the next no. segment. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a hot take here to get us off of that. Uh, I'm kind of stealing it from Twitter, but I think it's an interesting one nonetheless. Uh, Karis Levert, Karisla Sixth Man of the Year candidate. Is this something that could be in play? Do we think he's going to end up being in the Sixth Man of the Year conversations? I could see it. I'm not dying on the hill, but I could see it. I think he looks healthy. I think he looks confident. And I think the Cavs are going to have enough spacing around him to really let him create off the dribble, which he did a, a good deal of last year, but there's more spacing around him now to actually have the opportunity to do what he does best. Jackson said no immediately. No, because Isaac Okoro is going to be taking up all of his shots. Oh, yeah, that's right. According to oh, Corey. Yes, <laughs> well, <that's>, let's go. <laughs> I So no Karis LeVert death lineup? I think that, like, I think the best version of Karis LeVert is just not going to get a lot of stats. And I think we saw Karis LeVert play really well last season down the stretch in that six man role. And really kind of like after the deadline, he really like found his role with this team and alongside Donovan Mitchell. So I don't think he's not like good enough to be that. I just, just the way these awards work, I don't think he's going to be like 
if he's in like the sixth man of the year conversation, he's probably not playing the way that the Cavs need him to play best, if that makes sense. Yeah, I felt like I was going to say the same exact thing. He's just not that archetype of player that consistently wins these awards. It's always the one dimensional score first mindset, mm-hmm. the Jordan Clarkson, if you will. Who um, he tried to help win last year by fouling. <laughs> he's like, he hey, man, let me help a brother out. Uh, <laughs> let me get you to the line a few times. I um I I agree. I feel like he's just more multifaceted than how most of these players are. We see it. He likes. He's a bigger guard. He can grab boards. He is a. He has an underrated level of passing. I think people don't still don't think of Karis Levert as a decent passer, but we saw last year he has a good rapport with the bigs. He like I feel like his best case for the Cavs stat line is like he has like a thirteen five and four type of season that's like ceiling that's what the Cavs want from him the worst case scenario might be if he scores like 19 points a game two rebounds two assists and you're like Karis you are literally pounding the air out of the ball there are people in the corner saying hey this mid-range I'm shooting it at a crisp 39% let me go right Mm -hmm. to it one more time (laughs) because we've seen both versions of Karis LeBert and the version of him we saw last year was the version the team needs, not the version that Indiana got, which was like overinflated stats, like a classic good stats, bad team player. Karis will look great in that, but it's like the most hollow, like you just have to read between the lines stat line. He needs to play as a more well-rounded player, and that's when he's at his best. I think you said it perfectly. He he really did take huge steps forward to becoming what the Cavs needed him to be last year. And I expect him to just continue to grow in that role. I don't expect him to win six man of the year, but I do think he'll be one of the better bench players. I think he'll be a very reliable bench piece for Cleveland. And that's something they desperately need. Uh, as I think we've touched on before. He's yeah, I think he's somebody who he's one of the few players that I think fits no matter the matchup. I think the Cavs simply just don't have many guys like that. Like you can't even say that about Jared Allen, really. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Karis LeVert is very valuable. I know it's like probably not what people want to hear. And I'm not like saying it in a a negative sense towards Ricky Rubio, but I feel like the situation that the Cavs are in with Ricky probably is the best case, like the best situation for Karis LeVert because they're asking him to do something specifically of being that backup guard. They need him to kind of play into that role. And I feel like if Ricky Rubio was available, I don't think that they would be at, like, I don't think he would feel the pressure to play in the way that I think they need him to. I think he would more, like, I feel like he could easily fluctuate either way. And I feel like if he would probably lean more towards the, I'm just going to shoot the ball more often than I need to be this team's backup guard. I kind of thought that same thing as well. And then I remembered that his best stretch came after Rubio came back from injury. So I'm not sure if that's like a function of Rubio coming back or if that's just a function of like things just falling into place after the trade deadline. But it could have also been his injury over the time. Right. He, like it was noted that he played through a bulk of it with that, I think, a shoulder injury, which his shot looked awful for like 45 to 50 games of last year and except then, for that celtics game which i was there for <laughs> of course go celtics am i right <laughs> <laughs> i want to jump off the jared allen mention that jackson had there for a second and just read off one of the the hotter takes that i saw from the isaac Okoro fan club on twitter jackson's favorite twitter account his favorite stand account 
That's they actually say, my subscribe other to it. <laughs> That's his burner. <laughs> Their boldest take is that Jared Allen becomes a more reliable three-point shooter than Evan Mobley this season, with the caveat that that's not a knock on Mobley. Now, I don't know if this is just like saying, you know, Darius Garland is better at dunking than Stephen Curry, but because uh, I don't think either of them are going to be reliable three-point shooters is the point there. But Jared Allen's kind of fascinating in this way because he is a good free-throw shooter. His mechanics are actually good. He just hasn't like he's shown a little bit of touch in the mid range. I'm not like I don't feel confident saying he's going to be a stretch big, but you can look at guys like Brooke Lopez of these players who later in their career established There's only one uh, guy. Yeah. I was gonna say Brooke the Lopez one guy. is the worst thing to happen to bigs ever because as everyone goes yeah. like, well, look at Brooke Lopez. I mean, he was 33 and just learned how to shoot. And, and in reality, he probably Howard. always had touch, but the game just changed and he started taking more of them. But anyways, the point is, I do think Allen's interesting. There was a video of him in practice attempting threes. They weren't going in, but he's attempting <laughs> them. So I, I like the take. It's bold. It's it's brash. So how do you guys feel about it? Anytime you can go down the Andre Drummond route, you just gotta go. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta let Jared Allen not, clear not so everyone sure out that. and just take people on the one-on-one up top. <laughs> no, I. So like, I feel confident when he has the ball in the mid-range, when he's like taking a set shot, and you're just like, what if that extended like four or five, six feet out further? I don't think that they're gonna really allow him to take that shot unless yeah. he somehow showed a lot more progress than what we think but i kind of like just from the outside if you're just looking it's like yeah i think that i can kind of see a path to that and i don't think evan is really concerned about shooting threes yeah i think evan's uh, primary goal should just be improving as a ball handler and mid-range i don't think we need him stepping out behind the three-point line um and jared allen look it's it's not a hill I'm willing to die on, but it's a hill. It's there. I, I could see it. I wouldn't be completely shocked if he became like a decent, decently reliable for, you know, a seven footer to shoot from deep. But it's not something that I'm going to bank on. What I will bank on the hill that I'm willing to die on, which isn't really that big of a hot take. But so I think Evan the going to hill be. wasn't wasn't the one you were willing to die on. <laughs> this <laughs> no, is the one you're willing to die. This on. is the okay. one that I'm willing to die. <laughs> All on. Because right. I think yeah. it's it, I think it's a pretty fun. mild take. That was I just think this is this is mild. <laughs> okay. I think Evan Mobley is going to be an All Star. I feel very confident saying he will be the second All Star on the Cavs. I know Darius Garland's usually the popular answer there, but I think this is going to be the year where Mobley gets enough touches. He, I don't want to say a leap on offense, although I, I don't think statistically it will look like a leap, but I think it will be a leap if that makes sense. I think you're going to see him average 18 to 20 points per game. I could see him averaging four assists per game, which isn't that big of an increase from last year. I think it was 2.8. But it would look really good on paper. He's going to average nine to ten rebounds. It's going to be a defensive player of the year caliber player. And if he's a guy on offense who's getting the ball every other possession, like he was in the preseason, he's scoring efficiently. He's creating for his teammates. And the Cavs are going to be a top three team in the East. I think. I don't know how you leave him off of the All Star team. I feel like yeah, I agree. If there was any two Cavs, like if you told me I had to pick two that would probably make it, it would be Evan and uh, Donovan. Just because I feel like for what this team needs to do to take it to the next level and what we're seeing in the preseason, they're kind of at least there's been an, a uh, a real focus on letting Mobley kind of operate more as this mini hub offensively. And if that continues into the uh, regular season, that will probably raise some eyebrows amongst like the, the most annoying thing about the all star game is we know it's all a, a, a popularity contest. Like, if this team is going to be a top two team in the East, they reward the top teams 
in each conference every year, I feel like, with at least two. And if you had to pick the two, it, it, it would have to be Mobley and it would have to be Donovan. I just think the guards are too congested that you can... There's going to be no situation where it's going to be both Darius and Donovan. Uh yeah, I mean, Jaron Jaren Jackson Jr. made the All-Star team last year, mm-hmm. and that seemed like kind of like a break from the like defensive first big actually making it because Jaron Jackson Jr. is not like an offensive hub or anything like that. So maybe that route, I think it's, if he does make it, I think it's much more likely he does off of like an Adam Silver pick as opposed to like actually making it mm-hmm. outright. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's just do let's lock in our final predictions. Where do you think the Cavs finish in the regular season, and then we'll get to the playoffs? But regular season, where do they finish in the East? Jackson, go. Uh, I think they're gonna finish first. Um, All right. Just they have when we're looking at teams that are going to like really push for that one seed. I think the Cavs are that team team that really we saw that they needed to get an easier matchup to really kind of in the playoffs last uh, last season. They're going to come out hungry, I think. They have a lot of depth up, you know, at the top of their rotation with Allen Mobley, Garland, and, and a Mitchell. They have a lot of, they should be able to sustain an injury to one or two of those players throughout the season and still kind of keep rolling just based off of who else they have and you know, I think, I think they're just gonna. You know, I think they have just a lot more leeway than a team like Boston or uh, the Bucks. So that's kind of that's kind of what I think. But I don't. I also don't think that they're the best team in the East. I want to get that, make that very mm-hmm. clear. That I don't know if they've improved much from kind of the fourth, fifth team from last year in a playoff setting. But in the regular season, I think they're really gonna be. Uh, I think they're going to have, I think they're going to be really good. I agree. Uh, Go Cavs. I think they're going to be the first seed. I think they have the depth. They have the youth. They should be pissed off from the way last season ended. There's no, they have absolutely no reason to mail it in at any point during the regular season. Everyone on the roster has something to prove. Even the newcomers with Max Struess and George Niang, they're, they're playing with a purpose this year. Whereas the Bucks, the Celtics, they very much have their eyes on the championship. The regular season still means something. I know we've kind of, moved away from that in recent years, but I still think these teams care about the regular season. It's just the Celtics and the Bucks are going to prioritize competing in the playoffs. The Cavs don't really have that luxury. They need to be one of the top teams in the East and get a favorable matchup. And so I think I could, look, listen, injuries are impossible to predict. I'm not going to even try to guess that, but assuming relative, relatively fair health, I think they could be the one seed. And I think it also comes to like, if, Tatum or Brown got injured on the Celtics. I think that's not a super good basketball team. I, I don't know if they can really sustain that for like a long stretch of time. Like they can sustain it for a week or two, but maybe not like a month, you know? And I think the same thing kind of goes with like the Bucks, where it's like, if Darius Garland gets injured for a month, I think the Cavs are going to be mostly okay just because they have. Ty Jerome fills it in beautifully. More on ball well, reps for a Coro. Levert, up his six man. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's how you win the awards. You just have Sam to start Merrill. half of the game. Oh my god, most improved. Monty Bates. <laughs> yes, Craig Porter Jr. No, 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 no. Let's not get crazy. Oh come on, that was, Jones- that was another one of my hills I was willing to die on. I, <laughs> I just think he's going to be a really good player. 
not a really i just think he's going to be a long time nba player was was what i was who's, going to say with cpj but that's not like on that? yeah well you are i guess <laughs> i'm not fighting you i'm just saying like i don't he's 23 so i mean he needs a he needs to get yeah, going no, i i'm with you there i wasn't even gonna bring it up but i had to get it off my chest Corey, <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna split the group here and and pick them to finish somewhere else where how where do you think the guys finish well, the they're gonna season? be the Behind the Celtics, obviously. Of so. course. Yeah. I think that the Cavs will probably like I feel like it's more likely than not this team will be the first team in the East. And for the reason that like you guys have already laid out where they're definitely like they they are definitely not as talented top level as the top two teams in the East of the Bucks and the Celtics, but I think they have the least to learn over the course of the regular season about themselves. I think they kind of know what their flaws were last year. And I think they addressed them. I think if their biggest hurdle is figuring out how to incorporate these role players, that's a much different task than what the Bucks and Celtics are faced with, where it's how are we going to get our top level talent to mesh together, which the Bucks have to figure out how to incorporate Damian Lillard and Giannis. And we see time and time again, that those types of pairings usually take time and reps to kind of work together. I mean, Lillard and Giannis only played one game get together in the preseason. And I wouldn't say after one game, they're like, all right guys, so this looks pretty easy. Let's just see how this goes. And the Celtics have complete turnover in their starting five. The only I mean, they're moving Derek White to starting point guard. They're incorporating Drew Holiday and Porzingis. And I think it's safe to say that the the Celtics are just uh, riddled. They're ready to be riddled with injuries based on who they decided to invest in. And I think there's a lot offensively they need to figure out. Defensively, I think they're going to be insane. But offensively, like, it's it's just like they have they both those teams have so much to have to work towards to get to a level of comfort and consistency that the Cavs already are kind of coming out the gate with because they're starting five outside of the three which they, this is a team that has been accustomed to not really knowing who their starting three is going to be game in and game out for years now and it's not really going to rattle I think the team that at, at the level that we're going to see with the top level team so they if they don't finish in the top two like i said i would or top three i would be shocked but they really should probably finish one and it would be a good indication that their investments were in the right places and one thing also is that like this is a two-team conference and those two teams know that they have to play against each other at some point it's not like the 2016 western conference where it was like the thunder the spurs and like the warriors are just great teams and you want to get the first seed so you only have to play one of them it's like no you know they know that they're going to play each other they don't really they're not worried about cleveland or you know new york or heat any, culture baby any other team you want to throw out there the uh, sixers depending on the, what, the magic what's going on with them the magic you guys both had in your top tier if i remember correctly top uh, tier is number dread, one the pacers <laughs> also in the top tier so like they don't like they're not concerned about that so it's like they're not gonna go all out to get that number one seed or at least they don't have the a reason to and it could be maybe the Cavs just maybe the Cavs just aren't as good as we think like I think that's how they don't get the one seed as opposed to like the Celtics or Bucks like winning 58 59 games you know I just don't see that that's gonna do it for this episode of the Junkyard Pod please consider subscribing and sticking around and as always go Cavs I agree go Cavs Hi, Jacob.